All right, so we are back. Let's get into this story right here. All right, um, what's going on with the Wagner group? And um, this will have a uh, former U.S. Marine and uh, weapons inspector for the U.N., Scott Ritter, on this as well. So let's get into it. I'll talk radio live in 4K. Four hours a short time ago, word from Russia that Wagner will be asked to turn over all of its weapons, lay down its arms. Is this the end of the Wagner group? Uh, we also hear from Russian authorities. They've dropped charges against Progozhin, the mercenary leader who led this uh, quote-unquote coup over the weekend. And German state media over the past 24 hours reporting claiming peace talks could begin as early as next month that global leaders met secretly in Copenhagen, and they're on board with peace talks. So to make sense of all of this, former UN Weapons Inspector Scott Ritter joins us now. Scott, thanks for coming back to the show. Um, let's, I guess, start with Progosian and this, mo- the, the, this news of Wagner. Are they done? Uh, Wagner as a private military uh, contractor capable of fielding a conventional um, military force is uh, is finished. It's done. It's over. And it it seemed we saw videos of Russians apparently arm in arm with Wagner forces. There was a lot of apparent celebration. The West was saying, "Wow, the he was greeted with open arms." Prigozhin. I saw a number of CNN headlines saying that it was a hero's welcome for Prigozhin when he went into Rostov on Don, and now charges are dropped against Prigozhin. So. Will he be uh, prosecuted in any way? Is he going to live out his days in Belarus? And what do you make of this this Western narrative of sort of a hero's welcome for him? Well, let's start with the hero's welcome. Um, Rostov is a city of uh, a million people. Count the number of civilians you saw in the square welcoming Wagner. First of all, the vast majority of the civilians there were there out of curiosity. When Wagner first approached, there were no cheers. In fact, uh, Wagner's uh, forces were confronted over and over again by Russians saying, what are you doing here? Why are you making this mess? Wagner put people on the ground at gunpoint. Wagner, who has no legal authority whatsoever. People need to understand that. This is not a military unit. It's not a paramilitary unit. It's a private military contractor who has no legal authority to operate on Russian soil at all. So these are criminals in a Russian city bearing arms, seeking to take control of the headquarters that is commanding the special military operation at a time when Russia is a life and death existential military struggle against Ukraine and the collective West. The people cheered when Wagner left. They cheered because there was no civil war. They thanked Wagner for making the right decision to get out of town. Uh. What those people didn't realize is that Rostov on Don was surrounded by 10 to 15,000 Chechen Ahmad special forces who had sent a message to Prigozhin that you're going to die in a matter of hours. That when Putin gives the green light, we will come in and we will kill you and we will kill all of your Wagner mercenaries. Prigozhin also received the same message from his commanders as they approached Moscow. They entered the Serpikov area, and there were 2,500 Russian special forces lined up there. 
dug in. They were backed up by thousands more special forces who were outflanking the Wagner forces. And Wagner commanders came back and said, we're going to get into a fight. Now, here's another thing people don't realize. What is a basic combat load? That's what a soldier carries on him to engage in a fight. You know how quickly you fire through your basic combat load in a heavy firefight? Like that. Where's the resupply come? Wagner would have run out of ammunition in hours, and they would have all died. That was the reality. Prigozhin didn't negotiate anything. Prigozhin was told, leave. You're done. Unplugged. Get out of Russia, and Wagner is finished. And that's what we're seeing. So all this concept of a negotiated settlement, Prigozhin making a point, Wagner being treated as heroes. Wagner is a criminal entity, a criminal entity. Three quarters of Wagner refused to participate in this coup d'etat. This coup has been planned for months. Russia has known about it. Russia has been coordinating with the commanders of Wagner to avoid a civil war, to have them conform with Russian law, to have the, Russian, the, the Wagner fighters sign contracts binding them to the Ministry of Defense so now that they have a legal status, to get the commanders to do the same thing, to end Prigozhin's billion-dollar money-making venture. People need to understand that Prigozhin is not a military commander. He is a businessman who makes money off of slaughter and blood. Bakhmut, where 20,000 Wagner fighters died. People need to remember that. There is no wonderful formula for Wagner's success. They're not an elite fighting force. 30,000 of the 50,000 Wagner soldiers who fought in Bakhmut were criminals, convicts, with 21 days training. You cannot become an elite fighting force with 21 days training. You were given 21 days training, basic small arms uh, knowledge, basic maneuver, and told advance or die. That was it. If you survive, your conviction is swiped clean. These were fanatics who fought aggressively, but they're not elite. 20,000 of them died. These units suffered 60% casualties. This sounds like the Dirty Dozen. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. It's like 12 people who are war criminals. And if they made it through the mission, you know, they were rewarded with freedom. It really reminds me of the Dirty Dozen. And Prigozhin's lecturing people saying, we gave you a case study of how you should have advanced through. Prigozhin knows nothing of war. Again, he has no military experience whatsoever. Every operational and tactical decision is made by his commander's council. And this commander's council signed off on tactics that caused shock units to lose 60% casualties, 20,000 dead. And he's saying that the Russians are slaughtering their troops. If the Russian Ministry of Defense followed the Prigozhin model, 300,000 Russians would be dead. And they still would have only advanced a few kilometers. Prigozhin is insane. And that's what people need to understand. Wagner, they fought bravely. They fought heroically. But to call Wagner elite, no elite unit suffers 60% casualties. That's not elite. That's fanatical. And here's the other important thing. The Russian military did not want to fight the Battle of Bakhmut. Prigozhin entered that battle because he was in a very difficult situation. Russia, Russian law does not permit a private military army, which is what Wagner had become. 
It can't operate on Russian soil. So they were going to pause the battlefield, pull Wagner out, and reconcile this legality issue. Prigozhin realized the second he did that, he would lose his billion-dollar business. So he pushed into Bakhmut to keep the fight going, to compel the Russians to fight, sacrificing 20,000 men. Every soldier that died in Bakhmut, it's Prigozhin's fault. He murdered them as a business decision to compel the Ministry of Defense to give him the ammunition to create a precedent of supplying a private military contractor in violation of Russian law. And he continued to push that battle, even when the Russian high command said, we don't want this. He forced the Russian high command to divert forces from other areas of the front to protect the flanks of Wagner as they advanced. Thousands of Russians were wounded and killed because of uh, Prigozhin. So this idea that Prigozhin is some sort of military genius who is in command of an elite fighting force that saved Russia is absurd in the extreme. I'm not denigrating the courage of the individual Wagner fighter or the tactical uh, competency of their commanders. I'm telling you that Yevgeny Prigozhin is a psychopathic, mass-murdering uh, criminal, and you know he's alive today only because, only because Vladimir Putin didn't want to start a civil war where Russians would end up killing Russians. Hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, we had uh, just a short time ago the question of whether or not Prigozhin was working alone in this, in this coup, this march towards Moscow. Um, Rostislav uh, Ishenko, political scientist, Russian political scientist, says it's not likely that he was working alone. The amount of organization in order to, to, to move on this uh, would have required some kind of support from within Russia, perhaps, from the capital, from the Kremlin in some capacity. Do you buy that analysis? Do you think he was working with other people or he was working alone in this decision? No, I mean, that's that's an absurdity, frankly speaking. Uh, Wagner had become a massive enterprise. Uh, you know, again, it, by the time they withdrew um, 25,000 troops, that's a significant force with tanks, artillery, aircraft. Um, they didn't need the Kremlin's help or the military's help uh, to plot a coup. The, the help that Prigozhin got was from his military command council, but here's the rub. See, Prigozhin's thinking about a coup had been known to everybody, everybody. The CIA knew about it. We know this now because they admitted briefing the Gang of Eight in Congress about Prigozhin's coup, and they briefed them weeks ago, months ago. MI6 briefed the prime minister about the same thing. MI6 coordinated with the Ukrainian government, telling them to stop your offensive operations until Prigozhin's coup goes forward, because there's a chance there's going to be a civil war in Russia where they will remove forces from the battlefield, and then you can do your attack. Everybody was aware of this, including the Kremlin. But what the Kremlin was doing is they wanted to avoid a civil war. They wanted to avoid a situation where they had to go in and forcibly disarm 25,000 Wagner soldiers. Okay, so I'm going to switch to um, the article now. So I'm taking a risk here. And I'll read from there. All right, Pizrosian's Gambit, Treason by Any Other Name. 1997 Disney animated musical fantasy, Hercules, there's a particular catchy number. 
Zero to Hero, which describes the rise of the star of the film from a clumsy boy into a strong and capable man. In the span of less than 24 hours, Yegimdi Provzogin, the public face of the Wagner Group, a Russian private military contractor with shadowy ties to Russian military intelligence, has flipped the script of this ashes to diamonds tale, transforming an organization that had that had, through virtue of its impressive battlefield performance, become a legendary symbol of Russian patriotism and strength into a discredited band of disgruntled traitors seeking the violent overthrow of the constitutional government of Russia on behalf of nations who seek the strategic defeat and ultimate destruction of Russia. Disney, hold on one second. If Disney were to write a song about Pergogin and Wagner today, it would be called Hero to Zero. Let there be no doubt in anyone's mind because the Prozogin has become a writing, a winning agent of Ukraine and the intelligence forces of the collective West. While there may be those in the Wagner who have been unwittingly drawn into the act of high treason through deception and subterfuge in the aftermath of Russian President Vladimir Putin's address to the Russian nation on June 24th at Prozogin's imploding impolitic reply there can be no doubt that there are only two sides in this struggle the side of constitutional legitimacy and the side of unconstitutional treason and sedition anyone who continues to participate in Krogogin's coup has aligned themselves on the wrong side of the law and has made themselves outlaws having taken Wagner down this unfortunate path, one needs to examine the motivations stated and otherwise that could prompt such a dangerous course of action. First and foremost, Prozogin's gambit must be looked at for what it is, an act of desperation. With all this military prowess, Wagner has a fighting force is unsustainable for any period without the logistical support of the Russian military defense. The fuel that powers Wagner's vehicles, the ammunition that gives its weapons, their lengthy, their lethality, the food that nourishes its fighters all comes from the very organization that Prozogin has set his sights on usurping. This was a stupid idea. This reality means that to succeed, Prozogin would need to rally significant support behind the cause capable of not only sustaining his gambit, but of setting the considerable power of the Russian military of defense and the Russian Federation, which, if left intact, <clears throat> would be able to readily defeat the forces of Wagner in any large-scale combat. In short, Pazogan is looking to read a so-called Moscow Maiden designed to replicate the success of the events of the early 2014 in Kiev, where the constitutionally elected government of President Viktor Yakovich was toppled from power through the violence and force of the will that was orchestrated by Ukrainian nationalists supported by the U.S. and Europe. Fantasy of the Moscow Maiden has been at the center of the strategy of the collective West and the Ukrainian proxy from the very start. Premised on the notion of Russian president propped up by a thoroughly corrupt our class, the idea of creating conditions arises sufficient to unrest people of bringing down the Putin government. Like a proverbial house of cards was primarily objective of the sanctions regime imposed by the West after its initiation of the special military operation on February 24th, 2022. The failure of the sanctions to generate such a result compelled the collective West to double down on the notion of collapsing the Russian government, this time using a military solution. The British Prime Minister pressured his Ukrainian counterpart to forego a negotiated settlement 
to the conflict that was already to be signed in Istanbul on April 1st, 2022, and instead engaged in a protracted war with Russia fueled by tens of tens of billions of dollars worth of military and financial assistance designed to inflict military losses on Russian sufficient to trigger the domestic unrest. The elusive Moscow made this effort likewise failed, failing to create the conditions conducive for the collapse of the domestic support for Putin and the Ukrainian conflict by pressuring Russia from without. The collective West began working to create conditions for bringing down Russia by sowing internal seeds of decision. This strategy hinged on a very sophisticated information warfare scheme, which simultaneously sought to suppress and discredit narratives which sustained the official position of the Russian government while building up covert agents of influence within the social media outlets deemed to be influential amongst the Russian public. Using these channels, the pro-Ukrainian practitioners of the information war began promulgating narratives intended to highlight the feelings of the Russian government and more specifically persons close to President Putin who are affiliated with the SMO by focusing their angst on what these channels were highlighting as the failures of the SMO information war for practitioners where all were able to wrap themselves into the mantle of patriotism, claiming only to be looking out for the best interests of Mother Russia, all while denigrating the character of the constitutional government. There were several compelling narratives that were used by the information warfare specialists to serve as the foundation of their attack on Putin's Russia. One of the more popular were grounded in the mythology of 2014 and the early resistance to the Ukrainian nationalists who sought to impose policies of cultural and linguistic genocide on the ethnic Russian population of the Donbass. Let there be no doubt, the fighting that took place in the initial months and years of the Donbass conflict was difficult and bloody, and who and those who rallied the cause of to the cause of this ethnic Russians of Donbass deserve tremendous credit for their courage and resilience in the face of dangerous of a dangerous enemy. But this resistance also served to foster a sense of entitlement among the early leaders and participants of this resistance, which often transformed into resentment against Russia and its president, Vladimir Putin, for abandoning the citizens of the Donbass to their own fate. The combination of resentment and entitlement turned into hostility at the initiation of the SMO when these originals took on the barrage at what they deemed to be the inadequate intervention of the part of the Russian government. The perceived incompetence of Russian military characters such as Igor Gerstin, perhaps better known as by his nom de guerre Strekov and Russell Texas Brentley, perfected the art of patriotic criticism, which intentionally or not was used by Russian enemies to form the notion of a weak and ineffective Russian government, vulnerable to the intervention of real Russian patriots who were concerned about corruption and inefficiency into in the Putin regime. Pro-Ukrainian information warfare outlets were able to help magnify these patriotic voices of dissent by disseminating their messages using Telegram and YouTube channels. The thing is though, if this had really gone off as planned, the U all of us would be in trouble all of us will be in trouble because Putin would have used those nukes so fast. As expansion on the theme of betrayed patriot involves the Wagner group itself and is, and is pertinent 
to the present matter. The origins of the private military contract company Wagner are murky, and but appear to be linked to the events of 2014 in the Donbass and the need of the Russian government to create a vehicle for the provision of relevant military expertise and material to the ethnic Russianist resistance in the Donbass that would not conflict with Russian constitutional prohibitions against the deployment of a regular Russian army personnel on foreign soil. From its inception, Wagner was an adjunct of the Russian military intelligence, GRU, and responsive to the commands of the Russian general staff. This placed Wagner in the shadowy space between being an official agent of government policy and independently funded private military contractor. Following the initiation of the SMO, the role played by the Wagner in the Donbass conflict expanded, transitioning from an advisory capacity to major combatant by expanding the scope and scale of the Wagner presence. Wagner grew in its corpse-sized formation equipped with heavy weapons, including armor and artillery, as well as fixed-wing fighter aircraft, and was assigned responsibility for a section of the front lines, which intended the twin salt mining towns of Soma and Bakhmu, both of which had been heavily fortified by the Ukrainian army. The bloody fighting for the solodar Bakhmu complex, which became known by the Sobrit the meat grinder helped transform Wagner into a legendary combat force in the midst of the Russians and elevated Pogogin's uh, profile considerably. Wagner achieved its well-deserved marital martial reputation largely because it was able to operate independent of the suffocating bureaucracy of the Russian military. Thus, liberated Wagner was able to best exploit the experience and skill of its veteran fighters, streamlining command and control and tactical decision-making to enable Wagner to seize and maintain operational initiative, allowing Wagner to dominate the battlefield. While Wagner had operational independence, it received its operational tasking from the Russian general staff, which also provided Wagner with the weapons, ammunition, fuel, and logistical sustainment necessary to carry out its assigned mission. The legal status of the Wagner was secure so was secure so long as the territory it operated was not Russian. This changed, however, in the aftermath of the September 2022 referendum, which saw the Donbass transition from being an independent entity to being a part of Russia. Wagner was able to maintain its unique status during the political transition of the Donbass to full Russian constitutional control. But once this transition was completed, sometime in the early 2023, reality came home to roost. Logistical requisitions which used to be treated as special requests, approved as part of the general support provided by Russia to the Donbass, were not treated as part of the routine legislative establishment of the Russian military of defense. From a practical standpoint, this meant that quantities of ammunition, especially in terms of artillery shells, was cut back to reflect the norm used to support military formation of a similar size. Wagner's tactics, however, were contingent upon the ability to support their operations with overwhelming, overwhelming fire support. Denied the quantities of ammunition they were used to receiving, Wagner's assault attacks began to take casualties, prompting Prozogin to initiate a public feud with both Jorgate and Gerasimov, whom he accused of confidential corruption. Prozogin's antics, which were played out into intimate detail on social media, caught the attention of pro-Ukrainian information warfare specialists, who began promoting the narrative of Prozogin, a former convict with zero political experience, assuming a leadership position in Russia. Logan himself seemed to feed off the notion. While publicly denying any such ambition, Logan continued in his public trolling of Shigeru and Gershinov. The vitriol became so intense that Putin was compelled to summon both men to the Kremlin, where they were read the riot act, 
by an irate Russian president and told in no uncertain terms to cease and desist or pay the consequences. Putin also at this time had Shogo step back from the from being the overseer of the Wagner Logistical Support, instead turning that task over to General Sergo uh, Surovikin, a senior military commander overseeing the air component of the SMO. In retrospect, this was a mistake, as it only reinforced the notion in Perjogin's mind that it may, that if he made a big enough scene, Putin would yield to his desires. At some point in time, Perjogin appears to have gone off the rails completely. Even after the presidential intervention, Jogin continued his public feud with both Shergov and Gershomov, at one point threatening to pull Wagner out of Bagmut before the battle was, com was concluded. Pazogin went out of his way to promote himself as a frontline commander, appearing in videos he published on Telegram, visiting the Wagner fighters on the front line, often under fire, and then contrasting with what Pazogin articulated as the timid behavior of Zergov and Gershomov, whom Pazogin mocked for managing SMO from the safety of bunkers, far from the zone of the conflict. So what was he doing? He was clout chasing in a gun in, in a in a gunfight? Bullets flying everywhere, and he's clout chasing? Wow. At some point in time, Prozogin's antics caught the attention of Ukrainian intelligence and the British and the U.S. counterpart. The need for attention, coupled with the grandiose notion of self-importance, made Prozogin an ideal candidate for recruitment by a hostile foreign intelligence service. A financial component based greed can be added to the behavior model as well. In addition to seeking to bring Wagner under the operational control of the Ministry of Defense, through the rationing of ammunition, Defense Minister Shergo announced that Wagner's fighters would have to sign deal-binding contracts with the Russian Minister of Defense to allow them to continue to serve their capacity as a combat unit. The reason for this was a constitutional ban on private military companies operating on Russian soil. The Russian government was willing to turn a blind eye to legality while the battle Grades. Once the meat grinder shut down, Wang was withdrawn from the front for a period of well-deserved rest and fitting. The Ministry of Defense announced that before Wagner could resume his combat operations, Jogan indicated that Wagner would return to fighting around August 5th. Its fighters and commanders would have to sign the contracts. The deadline for signing the contracts was set for July 1st. According to Brzogin, the military council commanders, the real leaders of the Wagner group, refused to allow the contracts to be signed. Wagner and Shogo were heading for confrontation. Wagner was, during this time, building upon the goodwill of the Russian people that had, earned, that had been earned in the bloody fight for Bakhmut. Wagner was engaged in an unprecedented public relations campaign designed to imprint on the Russian people the heroic status its fighters enjoyed all the while seeking to recruit new fighters into his ranks. The success of this public relations campaign only reinforced in the midst of the Brzogin the notion that he and Wagner were more popular amongst the Russian people than were Zhoidor and Gerasimov in the Russian Ministry of Defense. The collusion between Brzogin and Ukrainians, while unproven at this juncture, appear obvious in retrospect. One of the key indicators is the decision by the Ukrainians to send so-called anti-Putin Russian forces across the border into Belarus region of Russia, helping to create the impression of Russian impotence and impotence notions for Hitler was only too happy to magnify on his own Telegram channel. 
This message was then further decimated by Ukrainian controlled telegram channels, including those which operated under the guise of serving Russian patriots. Soon, both Rajogin and the obstinate pro Russian social media accounts were highlighting the potential of a Russian war, the collapse of Putin regime in repeat of the collapse experienced in the Russian army of 1917, leading to the downfall of the Czechoslovakian rule and the Romanov dynasty. Indeed, informed observers have stated that many of the Wagner fighters who accompanied Rogan into Russia as part of the ongoing insurrection apparently believed that they were being dispatched to reinforce the border region to guard against future incursions into Russia, into Russia by forces loyal to Ukraine. If the goal of President was to achieve the collapse of the Russian regime, it appears to have failed miserably. No political leaders, no military leaders of units, no oligarchs have rallied to Rogan's cause. Russia appears to firmly be behind President Putin and supportive of his stated goal of bringing this insurrection to an end using all means necessary. Of course, they don't want a civil war. While Pazovian claimed to have assembled a force of some 25,000 men from his march from Moscow, the reality is that the number of Wagner soldiers involved is no more than half that number. Unless Wagner receives substantial assistance, this invasion force will soon run into unsustainable issues, gas, ammunition, food supplies will become problematic. I don't understand why Prozogan would even try to do this. You have to depend on Russia to feed you guys, to, to um, give you weapons. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. Real insanity here. Moreover, as Russian forces began to physically confront Wagner, it would become crystal clear to the actual fighters that far from defending Russia from a corrupt and inept regime, Wagner has become a pariah, forever linked in the minds of, the, of Russia as traitors who sought to stick a knife in Russia's back at a time of great peril to the survival of the nation. In short, Wagner will have transitioned from hero to zero. Rogan and his supporters both in command and rank file of the Wagner, and those collaborators in the social media universe have done in attacking the constitutional government of Russia is nothing short of treats. Unless something extreme happens in the next day or two, it's inevitable that the Wagner will be defeated. History books will always punctuate its existence as an organization with perfidy of having betrayed Russia to its enemies. But the critical point here isn't Wagner's treasonous behavior, but rather the fact that Russia's enemies in particular, British and American intelligence services saw fit to facilitate a substantial armed insurrection designed to remove from power the government of a nuclear armed power. Imagine for a moment the right to fear that would have been displayed in the halls of Congress and within the walls of the White House if Russian intelligence had actually conspired to have an entity like Blackwater march on Washington, D.C. with the goal of removing President Biden from power. It would, some might say, constitute an act of war. Russian nuclear doctrine allows for Russia to use nuclear weapons when faced with an existential threat to the survival of the Russian state. If the CIA and MI6 were involved in the recruitment of Pazogan with an eye toward facilitating Wagner's march on Moscow, then they would have been directly engaged in an action that constituted an existential threat to Russia. Russia would, under its doctrine, have every right to use nuclear weapons in response. For everyone cheering Pazogan along with this Think on that long and hard as we turn your because in words to see that baby they may be no tomorrow. I would say that uh yeah, 
he's right. Because, like I said, if he was to succeed, okay, because there are any there are reports of a story saying that, you know, Brzezogin was a CIA operative. All right. That he's exposed as a CIA, CIA operative. All right. Hold on a minute. Hold on a second. <clears throat> and here we go. Ta-da! Was Oregon exposed as a CIA operative <clears throat> tasked with being Putin, media blackout about it, being talking about it. Zogan has been outed as a CIA asset who was taxed with assassinating Russian President Vladimir Putin, according to credible reports. Several news organizations affiliated with Tucker Carlson have confirmed that Zogan is actually a CIA asset working on behalf of the globalist elite. Kind of makes sense that he would make such a bold yet idiotic move to go against the hand that feeds you, try to go against uh, Russia. Once again, I don't I don't get how you're a military contractor group and you want to get, go against the people that are actually giving you weapons. I don't, Putin was smart not to, you know, the military council was smart not to give them so much weapons. Because if they had enough weapons to take down the Ukrainians, you know, at Bakhmut. I'm sorry they did but <clears throat> they would have, who's to say they wouldn't try to have gone all out but it was a fool's errand anyway because putin has allies putin is not a dummy anyway let's keep reading charlie kirk the final turning point in usa told members of his inner circle that preserving was spotted with a known cia operative confirming suspicions that the attempted coup in russia was a cia operation Flagged Eagleton reports, for safety reasons, our correspondent on the ground in Chechnya, Joe Barron, said he wouldn't confirm the name of the agent, but he was definitely who Kirk and others on Twitter say he is. He's ours, said Barron. We hope he gets out alive at this point, which seems highly unlikely. Another source known to the journalist confirms that Barron would be uniquely qualified to confirm the identity of the U.S. intelligence asset. I sent the better part of the week. I spent the better part of the week at Mar-a-Lago last year. He said, I had access to all kinds of stuff. I remember President Trump one night ex explaining to me that this guy was one of our most valuable spooks. And then, boom, there he is, uncanny. Looks like we can thank the best president ever once again for helping us clear up what actually happened in Russia. Hmm. Okay. All right. That's all I got for now. So well, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. All right? What are your thoughts? All right? Other than that, anything you want to know about this channel, it's in the description box. All right? 
And um, that's about it. Later. Like, share, comment, and subscribe.